With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Desini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Cole Zwicker's here. We are going to talk about the Kawhi Leonard trade. Uh, Cole, you are not here in Las Vegas. I am here in Las Vegas. I was at the Westgate Casino and Sportsbook watching Essendon beat Sydney. Just like full on cursing at the TV watching Australian football <laughs> as like one of the six people in the sports book other than myself, Robbie Callen, Brad Rowland, and Martin Rickman because I convinced them as fellow degenerates to come and watch an Australian football game at the sports book. Uh, what is just your initial reaction as this entire thing goes down? Are we talking Summer League? Are we talking Kawhi? <laughs> well, Kawhi is what I said. We're going to talk about the Kawhi Leonard deal. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty nuts because I was, you know, I was definitely on Twitter during that time. I wasn't someone who like fell asleep and came back to a literal onslaught of information. So what happened was, I think somebody tweeted a link to Kawhi Leonard's like Instagram fan page, and it had a picture of the Clippers. So everybody was like, okay. And then I think Chris Haynes comes out and tweets that, and it was like, holy shit. Uh, Clippers, like, and nobody at that time was really expecting another shoe to drop because nobody knew about Paul George. That was the best part of all this is like they kept all the parties kept this completely silent. And then Woj, com- Woj comes in and tweets the <laughs> the Paul George news, and it was literally like, "Holy shit!" I was like checking the date just to make sure it wasn't someone screwing with me or whatnot. It w- it was nuts. So it was hilarious. So I was not watching Twitter. Like I was not on my phone at all. Like Robbie had his computer or had his phone open or something like that. And I was just watching the game, and Robbie just shouts, Kawhi Leonard just decided at fucking 11 o'clock at night or whatever. <laughs> and Robbie, like, sprints out of the sports book. I'm just like, oh, that's cool. And just, like, for the next seven minutes, I immediately go back to watching the Essendon game because the Essendon game <laughs> wasn't over yet. And it was, like, a 10-point game. I was like, okay, we have enough writers at The Athletic to where I'm not going to be writing on this uh, unless I, like, demand to write on it. So I'm just going to write the I'm going to write out the Essendon game. I'll think about Kawhi Leonard whenever – uh i need to and then like the paul george thing happens and i'm just like oh wow there is a lot going on right now and i just can't leave this tv because i am uh if nothing else a massive afl fan uh probably says a lot about me as a person and about (laughs) my uh my priorities but nonetheless so i guess that where where do you want to start with this would probably be the fairest uh, question. By the way, we're sponsored today by BetOnline.ag. We'll talk about them in a minute. But um, do you want to start from the Clippers' perspective, from Oklahoma City, from Toronto? I, I mean, like what from Kawhi Leonard's perspective, from Paul George's perspective? There are so many different things that we have to talk about. Yeah. So I guess I'll just give you the floor. What do you want to start with? 
Let's just go with the intersection of the Clippers and Kawhi and just him getting almost the best of both worlds. I think all at, he, I think this was kind of a legacy choice, like looking at the Lakers and saying, I'm going to go join LeBron's team. I'm going to join Anthony Davis. He clearly wanted to go back to L.A., and he was able to do that on his own terms, you know, getting Paul George. And it was, the whole thing was just really fascinating to me as far as the behind-the-scenes operations. And you find out earlier in the week he met with Paul George, kind of discussed this and all these details. And it's just pretty crazy that, you know, the Clippers, you heard all offseason the executives there everybody returned like winger returned and it was like they had unfinished business and that was like the understatement of the century yeah i think that on some level the clippers have felt good about Kawhi leonard the whole year uh i don't really think that throughout this process anything has changed in that regard um I mean, I guess that we can start with the decision just of Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, the Paul George trade is very intertwined, but uh, the decision of Kawhi Leonard is just very interesting to me because there were all these rumors out there, right? And nobody said it was the Clippers, really. Uh, We had, like, clowns like R.J. Abraham or whatever and the MAGA Reddit guy say... Uh, it's done to the Lakers. And then you had Jalen Rose come out and say it's done to Toronto. Chris Broussard comes out and says <laughs> it's the Lakers in all likelihood. And I found it all very weird that people were speaking in such confident tones about what Kawhi Leonard was going to do, given that I don't really feel like anybody in the media knows Kawhi Leonard well. Like the, I feel like even most of the people that talk to media members don't know Kawhi Leonard well and probably did not have insight into his decision. Uh, hilariously, like I made the joke on Twitter that like I thought there was like a 10% chance that Chris Carter was going to break this news. Because I actually <laughs> think Chris Carter did have a direct line to what Kawhi Leonard was thinking. Like I think he was talking to that camp the whole time. So it's just all very weird to me that everyone kind of counted out the Clippers whenever it's been the Clippers the whole year. Everyone is like, yeah, Kawhi's, you know, probably going to the Clippers. Kawhi's doing this. Kawhi's doing that. It's just all very weird to me that that was that was the thought process, you know? Yeah, and I don't think anybody really knew. That was kind of the fun part about Kawhi is you really didn't see, like, he did say during the course of the year he wanted to go to the Clippers, but we also heard reports about him wanting that second star. So you're looking at the Clippers like, okay, maybe they'll deal for Bradley Beal. And then the, the Paul George thing came out of nowhere. But it's just kind of interesting. Like, the like LeBron, you always kind of felt like he was going to the Lakers. Like, that, that was the reports, and you bought into that. But with Kawhi, it was like almost a total wild card, and maybe it was the Clippers' move to get George that really swung that for him. Cole, can you, can you hold on real quick? There's some, like, Bluetooth device that like keeps trying to connect to my computer for some reason sure um hold on okay um yeah just start that all over again trying to think of where i was Sorry, my dog here was barking at it. I just had to mute myself. I just think it was kind of fascinating that nobody really knew what Kawhi was going to do. Like, that, everybody kind of pretended like there was all the, the sources that you said. They were like, he's leaning LA, Lakers, he's leaning Toronto. But I think in reality, you looked at the situation, and it was a complete wild card. You just had no lean. Like, with LeBron, you thought that he was going to the Lakers from all the reports, and that just seemed to be a pretty heavy narrative. With Kawhi, it was kind of wide open, almost to an extent. Like, I think he preferred the Clippers, and I think that was backed up in the end, but it might have taken that Paul George move to really swing it for him. I definitely think that the Paul George move is 
what happened. Like, I think that if the Clippers don't trade for, let's call it a second star, um, but particularly Paul George is a guy that Kawhi talked to early on in the process, if you believe. Uh, reports from, I want to say that one was Woj. I think Woj was the one who got that one in his longer write-up of the story. Um, so I think that no matter what, Kawhi, so from everything that I've been told about it now, Kawhi was focused on the Clippers uh, as the team, but he wasn't going to go there unless they had a second star. Uh, He wanted to be able to win immediately. He wanted to be able to compete for a championship immediately. And even though this Clippers team, we all really like it, uh, you know, we enjoyed the way that they played this year. They had a great sense of togetherness. They had a lot of really, really interesting pieces, both uh, for the current and the future. But... I don't think that we felt like if you just plop Kawhi Leonard into this team, they are a immediate title contender. And it, you know, I guess that Kawhi felt that way as well. And it is just very interesting to me that we're now at a place where, um, I, I guess that the Clippers who have done so well accumulating assets over the years, uh, this front office, I think over the course of the last two years, has a case, in my opinion, as being the best run front office in the NBA. Uh, you can certainly throw Toronto in there as well, just given the just pure audacity of the move to go and get Kawhi Leonard. You can throw, uh, you know, Philadelphia on some level in there, uh, just because they've now racked an incredibly interesting team. Although I think that they fall a little bit behind uh, the Clippers in terms of some of the moves on the margins, um, and I don't know how much I trust the Sixers front office going forward. The Clippers front office though is just remarkably stable and it is remarkably uh, well run in terms of decision-making at all levels. Uh, They're good at evaluating talent. They're good at uh, making these moves on the margins. Like for instance, getting Mo Harkless a few days ago in a trade, uh, a three-team trade with the Miami Heat and Portland Trailblazers uh, that ended up seeing Hassan Whiteside go to Portland. Uh, They ended up stealing a first-round pick from Miami to do that. Like it, It was just this really, really impressive mix of moves that set them up to be in position to where Kawhi Leonard would consider them. And I don't think that just given the history of the Clippers organization, that can be underestimated. Like this organization was a laughingstock until Steve Ballmer bought them. And now over the course of the last five years, they've made the playoffs, I think every year, right? They might've missed one year. Um, They were Lob City. They were, uh, now they're transitioning into this new tough mindset, physical, strong, um, you know, team first culture that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George embody so well. And it, it's just very interesting to me that Kawhi Leonard uh, and players now are seeing that as being the case with the Clippers because for so many years, it was not that with the Clippers. It was um, just Donald Sterling running the whole thing into the ground. Yeah, 100%. And I think, of course, destination plays a big factor in this as far as it being in Los Angeles. But we see the well-run Clippers kind of have an edge on the Lakers in some capacities. Like I I do think, again, like Kawhi is viewing this 
in some part as a legacy choice. Like if he goes to LA, it's LeBron's team. Even if Kawhi wins, even if people think he was the best player that season, he's not going to overshadow LeBron. Nobody is. So going to the Clippers and doing it on his own terms, playing in the market he wants to play in, playing for an astute organization. We saw Kevin Durant say things about Sean Marks with Brooklyn. I think players are realizing that certain front offices are you know, frankly superior in several capacities. Like you just trust these guys more to make moves, make good decisions on the margins. And I think that was part of this for Kawhi. Maybe it wasn't the, the driving factor, but I do think it was it was definitely a focus point. Yeah, I think I would agree with you on that. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about the Paul George of it all now. So Paul George goes to the Los Angeles Clippers in this deal that was essentially uh, Kawhi and Paul George to the Clippers for this package that I'll read off now. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Danilo Gallinari. Five first-round picks, including three unprotected, or no, four unprotected, three of which coming from the Clippers, two of which coming from Miami. Um, is that it? That's it, right? There's pick swaps as well unprotected pick in swaps. 2023 and 2025. So the unprotected picks from the Clippers are 2022, 24, 26, and then they got the Miami unprotected in 21 and a protected Miami pick in 2023 that is lottery protected. So I'm typically the person who says you know what, you should gamble and essentially call the bluff of an NBA star whenever they say, hey, trade me. Uh, if they're under contract for multiple years and you believe like you are a legit title contender or you believe that you want to continue to build around that player. I would bet you that Sam Presti probably would have gone down that road if this package wasn't just outrageous in terms of its uh, potential asset value. Uh, to get five first-round picks and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, that is, like, I'm someone who thinks Paul George is probably the eighth-best player in the league. Um, I think he's right in that mix with Joel Embiid. I think he's right in that mix. Honestly, like, I think you can make a case that, like, based off of last season, uh, that Paul George is basically in the mix with Anthony Davis. I think Anthony Davis' ceiling is certainly higher, and I think we've seen Anthony Davis reach a level in the past that Paul George hasn't quite reached yet. But, I mean, Paul George finished third in the NBA MVP race for a reason. Uh, his first 50 games this year were just exceptional. So I get that you're getting Paul George, and Paul George is, again, for me, like the eighth best guy in the league. But this deal is just so strong that I think it was impossible for Sam Presti to turn it down. More because the Thunder... I don't really see them as like highest level title contenders anymore. Uh, even with the Russell Westbrook, Stephen Adams, Paul George, uh, you know, trio. I just don't see these guys. Uh, I didn't see that group having a chance to compete for a title, if only just because they didn't really have a route to getting better at this stage uh, as Russell Westbrook starts to age a little bit. Not a lot of flexibility as far as operations. They had a lot of big contract salary guys on that team, and you, you saw them, of course, get knocked out by the Blazers in round one. I think that did a number on them as far as realizing what their ceiling was, don't have the requisite shooting. I like this deal from both sides as far as I, it makes perfect sense to me. Like from the Clippers' perspective, 
being able to take these assets that you have operated really well with and, and accumulated over time and then turn them into something tangible, turn them into a tangible top 10 player or two top 10 players. If you're viewing this in a prism of both Kawhi and Paul George, which you should be, I think this is what you do when you acquire assets. I think a lot of times teams will sit on them and say, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, this is too much. This is too much to trade. And of course, there was a very special leverage position here. But I like the fact that the Clippers said, you know what, when is the next chance we're going to have to get two top 10 players in the NBA. This is the entire point of everything when you're building a team is to turn these kinds of picks into tangible players. Like if you look at independently, the percentage chance that the 2022 or 2026, let's go further into the future with the Clippers, that pick ends up being Paul George is like less than 1%. So just look at it historically and say, you know, we have we have a, a burden hand now. And that made total sense for me. And for the, the, for the Thunder, like you said, I mean, if you it depends on how you frame it, you can view it as you know Sam Presti traded Victor Oladipo and Sabonis for this <laughs> contingent of assets, which is just crazy to me historically. It's one of the best asset trades, depending on how you frame it, that we've seen in a long time. So I I'm, I agree with you. I don't think that if you're in the position of Presti and you say you know if we're being realistic with ourselves, what is our chance to really compete over the next couple of years? And I don't think it was high. You turn that into maximum value. This is like over the top value for them. Right, and we'll talk about Russell Westbrook later on, but so we now have a situation where the Thunder are kind of rebuilding. I I guess we'll shove the Thunder off until later in general, but let's talk about this from the Clippers with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I will give you just what is probably an extremely strong take. Uh, I think that the Clippers are... They are not overwhelming favorites in like the Warriors were coming into this year and coming into the last couple of years. Not not by a long shot, but I think that they are the clear pick to win the title right now. Like if you were picking one team, like that is the team that I'm going to battle with. Uh, just the way that I think they can defend on the perimeter, the way that I think they're going to be able to get their shots uh, as wing creators in the playoffs, the way that um, they can play off the bench with depth with Lou Williams and Montres Harrell. Um, just everything they've done so far, plus they also still have the room exception to spend. It is just, to me, that is the most complete team in the NBA right now. And, like, I haven't even mentioned Landry Shamit spacing the floor or the fact that, like, they could end up re-signing Jermichael Green under the room exception. Or, like, there, there are just, like, so many different little aspects of this that, for me, line up to them being the best team right now on I paper. Would- I would lean that way. I think the only thing working against them is synergy and not having that time to develop with each other. But I do think the fits are, are pretty solid outside of this is not a great passing team. I think you look at this team and say, you know, Kawhi is not a great passer. Paul George isn't a great passer. Uh, Lou Williams can pass a little bit, but more of a scorer. Like Shamet, more of a, a three-point shooter, floor spacer, can do a little bit there. His feels underrated. But that would be the one downside, I think, offensively. I think offensively, this team is really underrated, though, as far as their ability to score. Like, how do you guard them? in certain lineups when you can play Lou Williams next to Kawhi, Paul George, Harrell as the dive man. Uh, you can mix in Shamet as far as running off screens. Like, who do you help off of? I mean, if they play more Harkless, that's the clear help area. But even like Beverly can shoot catch and shoot threes. So they, they're just so versatile. They can go more of a perimeter defense dyma- dynamic with Beverly. And they can come in with these like straight starting five offensive units that will just blow teams out of the water I think there's just they're pretty versatile as far as their matchups go especially in playoff basketball but just overall having two shot makers on the wing that can play both sides of the floor in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard honestly like two of the top I don't know five shot makers in the league as far as especially when you favor their size off the dribble I just don't know if there's a lot of teams that have answers for both of them uh I would agree. I don't think that teams are going to have answers for them at all. Uh, 
the problem that other teams are going to run into is I would imagine the Clippers probably start uh, Patrick Beverly, Landry Shamit, Paul George, um, Kawhi Leonard, and probably Zubots. And then off the bench, you're going to be bringing Lou Williams, Mo Harkless, uh, Montrez Harrell. And that is just and Rodney Magruder, <laughs> by the way, who started, uh, what, like 50 games for the Heat last year. That was an incredibly shrewd signing. You and I both liked what we saw out of Jerome Robinson yesterday in Summer League. Uh, you know, they have Terrence Mann, who I'm a big fan of. They have Fiondu Cabangele, who was their first round pick this year that a lot of people were pretty high on. Uh, you and I had him more as like a late first round pick and basically value commensurate with where they took him. But like if he ended up being able to play 10 minutes a game this year, I wouldn't be like out of the question shocked. So the team is just loaded in terms of depth. It's loaded in terms of skill set, like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Landry Shamet, uh, Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, even Magruder to an extent, these guys can all shoot the basketball. Uh, if they bring back a Jamichael Green, if they use the room exception on a point guard, another shooter, something like that, uh, you know these these guys can all space the floor. They have creators with Lou Williams and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They have um, you know perimeter defenders with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Patrick Beverly, who have all been first team all defense and you know obviously Paul George uh and Kawhi Leonard are probably two of the best three perimeter defenders in the league like this team is just ridiculous in terms of what it can throw at you and in terms of just diversity of skill set they can run Landry Shaman off of a billion screens and that's just going to create gravity for their creators, it's going to create gravity for Montrezl Harrell when he's on the floor. It's going to create gravity for Zubats when he's on the floor. I think that like the only real question I have is like rim protection, right? Like, can Avita Zubats be the guy that like just stands in the middle and protects the rim at a high level? Having said that, though, this team is going to be so good with point of attack defense, with perimeter defense. Paul George is one of the best help defenders in the league. Uh, these guys are just so, so good at perimeter defense that I think they're going to cut down penetration to the point where there aren't going to be as many shots at the rim. Uh, and that's going to just artificially kind of create a situation where it's, I don't want to say that rim protection isn't important, but I don't think it's going to be as important for this Clippers team. I think that's definitely a fair argument. I like the fact that they're diverse as far as both regular season and playoff basketball. Like the regular season, you got to have guys like Zubots who can start at the five and just take blows from the big behemoth centers. And you got to keep these guys healthy. Like if Kawhi misses some games, if they hold them out for rest, they have Lou Williams to step in and take a high, higher usage offensive role. In the playoffs, though, if people or teams are picking on Lou Williams, they have Pat Bev. They can go that direction. They can go smaller. Like Zubots didn't even start against the Warriors this year. They pulled him after, I think, two games because he couldn't hang with those guys so they made adjustments started Harrell or I think they started somebody else I can't remember if they started Harrell or not but they made modifications so I think this roster is capable of doing the same and let's remember they still have their 2020 first round pick if I recall that they can trade at the trade deadline they have Mo Harkless his expiring contract like I think that they can make another move as well um do the step in will have to be unprotected or whatnot because you can't travel into the future with 2022 but I, I think that that is something to watch out for as well but I'm, I'm pretty impressed with how this roster is built I, I do as you noted though I think maybe the one weakness outside of the passing on offense is the rim protection just not having that you know dynamic force in the paint but I, I don't know if it's going to be as important like you noted as it is with some teams well the, the passing one is very very interesting uh, I think it's probably worth bringing that up uh, because 
I think in the regular season, there is going to be like a feeling out, especially in the first couple of months, just because a lot of these guys do like to dribble the ball a little bit. Uh, it's not to say that they're selfish. It's just that they are really, really good ISO creators, right? Yeah. But in the playoffs, to me, like I'd rather have those guys. Like I'd rather have Paul George's and Kawhi Leonard's. I'd rather have uh, even Lou Williams playing 20 minutes a night if things go poorly for them because – I think that those are the guys you need at the, in the NBA playoffs. Those are the guys that uh, when the defense ratchets up, they can get their own efficient shots. So, like, I think the passing concern is a very legitimate one. But I think that the offense is just going to be so built around guys creating their own shots and doing it efficiently. And uh, even, like, Shamit creating enough gravity and Patrick Beverly. Like, there's, there's such good shooting on this team that I think that there's just going to be enough floor spacing for these guys to create, you know, be it in ISO, be it in whatever you're looking for, um, uh, you know, high pick and roll. I just think it's going to work at the end of the day. Yeah, and I agree with you. I just think it's it's worth mentioning for sure. I mean, you you want both, right? You want the shot makers on the wing, but you also want guys who move the ball like Kyle Lowry. Those kinds of decision makers are really underrated in the playoffs as far as just getting guys good shots, keeping the ball in motion. The Clippers don't have a lot of guys on that roster, but I think they can compensate. I mean, just how diverse their scoring attack is going to be. They can run, you know, Paul George, Montrezl Harrell pick and rolls. And if they have guys like Lou Williams, Kawhi Leonard you know, Landry Shamet on the floor. All those guys are not only shooters, but they're gravity shooters. They're guys that you can't help off of. Like, teams are not going to want to help off these guys. You can't help off Landry in the corner, for example. You're never helping off Kawhi off the ball. These aren't just, like, shooters who shoot a reasonable percentage. They're shooters that defenses respect. And that's something that allows them to compensate maybe for some of the passing. It's going to be really interesting to watch just because a ton of off-the-dribble shooting. I mean, Lou Williams, again, another guy who's just incredibly good creating his own offense off the bounce. I don't know if we've seen like these three-level kind of shot makers in a while. Guys who can just really shoot you know, off-the-dribble threes, really warp the defense, and then be able to space off the ball as well. Yeah, I'm going to be really interested to see if I can get... Like I, I'm going to probably try and bet on the Clippers to win the title. I want it to get up to like four or five to one uh, as opposed to it's at like three to one right now. I'm like kind of playing the patience game and seeing like if there's just more heavy money that comes in the Lakers or, you know, someone brings some heavy money on the Sixers or the Bucks or something like that. Uh, and maybe it just shoots up like a little bit with the Bucks, but, or with the uh, Clippers. But I do feel like this team is the favorite. Like I think that they are, uh, they're not like the heavy favorite, but to me, they are, um, the number one team in a tier of other really good teams like Milwaukee, like Philly. Um, you know, I don't know. I would probably throw Utah in tier two, but like, I think that they are just an exceptionally good team. Absolutely. And I think for me, like a large scale takeaway, this year is going to be a little bit more egalitarian as far as it's going to be more competitive balance. Like usually in the NBA, like the last couple of years, of course, the Warriors were like one of the two teams. Maybe if they get injured, they could win the title. I think this year there's probably more like five. I, and then Clippers are one of those teams. I still think Houston, I have them high. If they get Iguodala, that would be really fascinating. Um, Lakers, you'd have to put them up there with LeBron and kind of what they've been able to put around getting Danny Green was big. And then the two teams in the East, of course, with Milwaukee and Philly. Philly just matches up really well with Giannis. Probably the best defensive team Giannis has ever played against in the future. So it's going to be a fascinating season. I think the Clippers put themselves you know, at the heart of the the title discussion here. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, this is a great way to transition into uh, our bet online ad for today. Uh, look, the basketball offseason is just the best. Uh, the, la the league has changed so much in the last, what, just week, I guess. 
How long do you feel like it's been since the draft? Like I was talking to Jovan Bua, who is the Athletics Clippers writer yesterday, and I was like, it feels like it's been two months for me since the draft happened. Like how long does it feel like for you since the draft has happened? Definitely a long time. I think the the time period that Kawhi took to make the decision felt like an eternity almost. And then you see the draft almost feels like last year. It really does. Like, it's insane. Like, I'm legit watching these guys in person, like, play for the first time in um, in Summer League Basketball. And it feels like it just doesn't feel like that. Like, maybe for me, it's different just because I am also, uh, like, I've watched them so much. Like, you and I both have watched these guys just, like, such an obscene amount at this stage that, like, uh, we're just thinking of things differently. But it, it's just kind of crazy to me that it feels like it's been that long um you know this week i think if you're looking for a prop to bet on betonline.ag i uh i'm gonna be looking at odds to win the nba title the clippers are at three to one the lakers are at four to one the bucks are at five to one sixers are at eight to one i actually kind of sneaky like that one um i will also say I, i'm kind of interested in the eastern conference prop of the sixers at uh three to one because i think that they match up really really well with the bucks yeah, that's where I come down. I think maybe in a vacuum, the Bucks might be a better team. You can argue. You just know what to expect with the Bucks. You know how they're going to play. You know how they're going to space the floor. You know how they're going to attack. But I don't think Giannis has never played against a team that has both Horford, who has notoriously defended him well, and then a guy like Embiid, where they can just play Embiid on him and sag off. I, I think that's going to be really difficult for the Bucks. So because you guys are loyal listeners of the Game Theory Podcast and CLNS Media, we're giving you an extra 50% added onto your sports betting bankroll when you go to clnsmedia.com slash game theory uh, and use that promo code CLNS50. The best part is the bonus will be added onto your balance within seconds. Again, support the podcast by going to clnsmedia.com slash game theory. Look, uh, there's a minimum deposit of $25 in regard to qualify for the bonus. Uh, you're going to receive the 50% bonus on your qualifying first deposit only. Um, there is a maximum bonus uh, per deposit of $1,000 uh, in, you know, just make sure you go to Bet Online's general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding bonuses. But uh, look, this is a really, really great opportunity, I think, to jump in on the sports betting game. So go to Bet Online uh, and please just make some wagers because have some fun with your life, right? So let's, uh, where do you want to go? Oklahoma City or the Thunder next, or Oklahoma City or the Raptors next? I'm sorry. Uh, Vegas has fried my brain. Like, it's hilarious. <laughs> I've been here for two days. And I haven't really, I've drank two beers over the course of those two days. Like I've been very responsible. I've been trying to eat like reasonably well. And this city just sucks the soul out <laughs> of your body. Like this city is the metropolitan equivalent of a Dementor in Harry <laughs> Potter. Yeah, that's good. Like I just, I can't with Las Vegas anymore. Yeah, with Vegas for me, man, it's just basically going to games, going back, going to bed. And <laughs> that's that's all I really got at this stage. Yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, when I go, usually the power goes out. So you guys are lucky I'm not there this year. Um, but it's basically just going to games all day and going back and going to sleep. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah, the problem is that you have to go out and like I go out and like meet people. I go out and just like kind of watch Australian football, I guess, because I can't watch it <laughs> in my uh, hotel room. But like. Yeah, you like going out and meeting with people. Like I met and met up with an agent last night. Met up with some friends who work for the Ringer. Like it was, um, yeah, it was just like it, there's always something to do, I guess, and it just kills your soul. Um, 
I don't know. Let's talk about the Thunder, because I think that where they go is more interesting, to be honest. Uh, it's not that Toronto isn't interesting to me, because they are. Um, I think that the Thunder are in a very strange spot right now. Uh, they did as well as they possibly could have, but they now have to make a decision on Russell Westbrook first and foremost. I think that that's probably uh, the place to start, right? Yeah, absolutely. What they do with him as far as trades we've heard Miami some Detroit chatter maybe Houston Rockets and it's just really fascinating because again you have they acquired Shea which was an awesome get for them kind of their best young prospect you have a bunch of picks is Russell gonna want to stay on that team and he's really integral to their culture he's been the guy you know after Durant left they really you know he's he's their guy are they gonna trade him now they're probably gonna trade him to a good destination I think some teams are like can we get Russell I don't think Oklahoma City is gonna deal him I mean this is kind of the most professed stand-up organization as far as front office like they're gonna do right by him so this is really interesting dynamic because I do think a trade would probably be the best for all parties let's just see if they do it yeah, I agree with you that it'd be best with all parties. I was out to dinner last night with uh, Danny LaRue and Kevin Pelton and Tim Cato. Shout out, Tim. Um, but the thing I brought up to KP particularly was, do you think that Russell Westbrook is a positive trade asset right now uh, with four years, $170 million on his deal? I don't personally. I, I don't know. Like, it, is he the only time, the only circumstance he would be is if he puts you over the top. And I'm looking at these teams. He's not a great stylistic fit in Houston. You know, if he goes to Detroit, no, that's not moving the needle. If he goes to Miami, that's probably not moving the needle either with Jimmy Butler. So I can't really view him that way unless there was a situation, like a perfect situation, where he would elevate you. Just because the contract with this kicking in is just an enormous, you know, contract to take on. I think he's probably a negative asset. One of the th- you know, three heaviest hitting contracts in the league along with John Wall and like maybe Andrew Wiggins. I, I don't think you can really view him as positive. Maybe he's like a net neutral, but again, it only takes one team to be like, okay, maybe he can move it and then they get more assets in return. So I'm looking at the Russell Westbrook contract as like almost a baseball contract where the way that like trade value works in Major League Baseball is that because the market sizes are so different, uh, for one team, Russell Westbrook could be a very positive trade asset. For another team, the market is just not there. Uh, you can't have Russell Westbrook taking up $47 million in 2024 or whatever it is. So I'm kind of thinking of it in a similar regard right now. What I would say is that I agree with you for the most part that I probably would not want to trade for Russ. But I think that I would if I was Miami. I do. Um, and I would probably be willing to give up like assets. Not a crazy amount, but I'd probably be willing to give up assets for them. The reason that I say that is that they are so inflexible right now in regard to what they can actually do, in regard to what they can uh, actually bring to the table, essentially, uh, because they're you know kind of p- picked out in terms of having moved their picks. Um In the next two years, they're pretty inflexible in regard to salary. I think that for them, you can pretty easily make the case that even if Russell Westbrook doesn't necessarily push them over the top into being a title team, I think that getting Russell Westbrook is probably a better case outcome 
than what is likely for them in the next four years. I think they're the most justifiable team, and they definitely have the bigger contracts to actually make a competitive offer, you know, matching contracts, aggregating, because that's going to be a problem with the Russell's contract, which is kind of an albatross right now, just over $38 million. You know, they can aggregate Drogic, they can aggregate James Johnson, they can go Justice Winslow, Kelly Olynyk, you know, Dion Waiters. They have contracts to move, which helps. I, I think, for me, I look at 2021 and say, you know, Russell's cap hit in that year being $44 million. And Miami's a destination team. Like, look at Jimmy Butler. Look, look at what he just did to get to Miami. Like, I think that they can get guys. And 2020 free agency is really bad. But in 2021, I think they might be able to do better from, like, a long-term building trajectory than getting Russell Westbrook. But I think for them, it's the most defensible, right? Because right? just their position right now, they're capped out. Putting a guy next to Jimmy Butler, that looks good also to free agents in the future, for example. So it's justifiable. It depends on what the price is, though. Yeah, I think that it's like you said, I think that a big part of it is the price tag. Um, the deal that I threw out there, so Dallas is um, specifically holding off on signing its guys because they have $23 million in cap space and they can kind of play with it, but that $23 million goes away whenever they pay Christoph Porzingis, basically. So if I was them, I think that there is like a legit three-team deal to be made involving Goran Dragic just going to Dallas. You send Russell Westbrook to Oklahoma City, and then you send, like, the names that I threw out there were Justice Winslow and Tyler Hero um, to Oklahoma City. Obviously, like, Miami isn't going to be able to move, like, uh, probably doesn't want to move its picks, but if you... Justice Winslow is just basically like an Oklahoma City guy, right? Uh, Like, he fits everything about their ethos that Sam Presti looks for in terms of, you know good athlete, guy who plays uh, high IQ basketball, uh, you know, very good human being, like just kind of fits everything that the Thunder look for. Hero, you know, just a basic first round pick, right? Uh, You know, 13th overall. Tyler's probably like a top 20 guy, I would say something like that um, in a normal draft. So I would look at that as an intriguing trade construction that would drop Oklahoma City below the tax that would satisfy uh, the trade rules from Miami's perspective because I think they have to send out like 31 million, something like that. I want to say that the number that would be sent out there would be right around um, like 32, 34 or so. Um, and then for Dallas, they get Goran Dragic, who is a point guard, which I think that they need on their team right now. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like Dallas, they, they could definitely use Goran. For Oklahoma City, you want to get out of the tax. You don't want to pay the tax for this team if you trade Russell Westbrook. Yep. So being able to, to part ways with a contract onto Dallas and it making sense for them is big. Yeah, I think if you get Hero back and you get you know Justice Winslow, that might be doable, honestly. There's, a, there's probably a deal to be made here if Miami really wants to make it. They don't have a lot of draft capital, but they do have some intriguing young prospects. It's just which one do they want to part with? You know, They're probably going to want to keep Bam, but it's between him, Hero, and then you have you know Justice Winslow. I think you have to choose maybe two of those three guys. I don't know if that might be even too much compared to what they're doing, but they might feel like that puts them in a better position but there's a deal to be made here let's talk about a few other teams so i threw out charlotte charlotte can just give oklahoma city a bunch of expiring money basically um maybe they throw in miles bridges uh maybe they throw in malik monk and they just likely need someone who can bring people to games in charlotte right now so um i want to say the construction i came up with was like bismack biombo marvin williams and you know, Miles Bridges and Malik Monk or something for Russell Westbrook. I would not do that deal if I was 
the Charlotte Hornets, but like to me, that's like a semi-realistic deal. Yeah, I'm the same logic. I would not do that if I was Charlotte. That doesn't move the needle for you. I would keep, you know, I like Miles Bridges. I think he's going to be a player long term. I wouldn't part with assets when, you know, outside of ticket sales and having that marketable star on your team, Russell's not moving the needle on that team. He might react poorly to losing as well. So I don't think that's the kind of culture or, you know, system fit that's really going to optimize him. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Another thing that I got thrown to me was Andrew Wiggins uh, and like just salary filler for Russell Westbrook. Yeah, and I think there were some guys tweeting about this and saying they didn't even know if the Timberwolves would do this, which is kind of interesting. That's- yeah, Zach Lowe threw that out on the podcast with Woj uh, after the deals. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, do you run Russell next to Towns? I, I I don't know if that's like the best fit long term together, but it, it's kind of interesting in the short term because Towns could really open up the lane for Russell on the floor. It's more about off the floor. That's just kind of like a, a sure why not deal, I guess. Is there anything else that makes sense to you that you see on the market right now? I mean, you look at Detroit. I don't think the Thunder are taking Reggie Jackson back. That would just be really weird. Um, But they're another team that you could say, you know, we have Blake. We're already kind of committed with Andre and Blake. Maybe we trade here and we just kind of roll the dice as like a middling playoff team. They can aggregate some salary. But again, I don't see really Reggie Jackson doing that um, and going back to Oklahoma City. So I'm not sure how feasible that is. Yeah, I think I would agree. Um, Trying to think if there's anyone else that like – really makes sense and stands out to me i'm not i'm not sure i've got one right now yeah i mean a lot of teams have point guards and not a lot of them not a lot of teams are in position to really utilize russell what do you think about houston i mean that's another team that's been they're rumored to basically every star that exists so i don't know if that's really like a realistic you know concept or idea but i don't like it personally from a a schematic fit yeah i think that houston is an incredibly bad idea (laughs) um i I don't really have anything else to say about that yeah i mean i would rather if i was houston i'd rather have eric gordon i'd rather have pj tucker harden's gonna have the ball so you're not gonna give russell the ball over harden and i know like jimmy butler like that's that's different though because jimmy plays defense like russell's not gonna give his all on defense and i I just don't think that's a good offensive fit yeah i think that i agree with you there um Let's talk about Toronto real quick. Toronto is now in a place where they have to make up for losing Kawhi Leonard. Um, That's that's a tough spot. They are in a good place where the way that Masai set up these deals, they can pretty easily maneuver on the fly. If they want to break this entire thing up this summer, they can. Like, you know, I think the most obvious trade in the world that to me I would not do if I was Toronto but like will almost certainly be speculated upon is like Kyle Lowry for Andrew Wiggins, right? Um, Toronto brings back Maple Jordan and Minnesota gets its point guard to help Carl Towns, you know, like I I wouldn't do that if I was Toronto, but I can see why it's going to be brought up or they can just decide, Hey, we're going to let these contracts expire. We're going to set up for 2021 free agency. Um, We're going to try and chase Giannis because Masai has an incredible relationship with Giannis. For sure. And I think just from an overarching perspective with the Raptors with Kawhi, it's kind of bittersweet. I mean, obviously, they won the title with Kawhi. I think a lot of fans have been, you know, great. A lot of Raptors fans have handled this really well as far as let Kawhi do what he wants to do. He just won us a title. Um, But it's a little bit bittersweet because you look at it and they did pretty much everything they possibly could for this for this guy. I mean, it was a great system. They made all the right moves on the margins and he left, which which is going to sting a little bit right after you win a title. But overall, I I think that this works out pretty well for all parties. I've seen the sentiment that the Raptors are just going to drop off a cliff and not be even a playoff team. I think this team, as currently constituted, is absolutely a playoff team in the East. I think they still have top-level... 
I mean, maybe not elite level talent. Pascal Siakam maybe takes another leap and becomes that guy, but very good player. Kyle Lauer is awesome. I think they were like 20 and 10 or like 30 and 10 or something in games Kawhi missed this year. So they're a competitive team. I mean, it's not just Kawhi and Danny Green. They have some depth. You know, OG probably has to take a bigger role. It just kind of depends on what Masai wants to do. That's like the biggest question mark for me is, does he want to keep this team together? Yeah, does he want to keep this team together? I mean, like, people think that, like, around the league, um, Masai stay there. You know, like, I think that there are rumors that, like, you know, maybe he'll sign a deal, maybe he won't sign a deal. But, like, I think that that's the number one question. How long is Masai there? And then after that, it's what does Masai want to do? Um, yeah, I think I agree with you. I think this team is like a, the five seed, something like that. Like I would throw Milwaukee ahead of them. I would throw um, Philly. Philly ahead of them for sure. And then Toronto is certainly like right in the mix with Boston, um, Brooklyn, Indiana. Maybe you yep. throw Indiana like a slight spot ahead of them. But I, like I, I don't really do that, I don't think. Like I, I think this Toronto team is going to be good. Uh I think Pascal Siakam is just going to be really, really good. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think Indiana not having Depot at least a little bit of the season is going to help Toronto. I, I think they're firmly you know, entrenched as like the middle tier of the East, like the second tier with these, you know, I don't know about Brooklyn without Kevin Durant, but they're clearly a playoff team to me. Like they're a much better team than like Atlanta, for example, who's more of a fringe or like yeah. Chicago. So, I mean, I've even seen some sentiments that like the Knicks are possible to make the playoffs and the Raptors aren't. It's just like, let's, let's give that a fucking break, dude. That's a bad take. It's a really, ex- it's an excruciating take. I'm not going to name names, but it's brutal. That is a, that is a bad take. Um, all right. What else? I mean, like, should we talk about the Lakers here? Uh, Absolutely. The Lakers are now in a very weird spot where they essentially now have to decide whether or not they want to, uh, like, spend all of their money. Like, we're now in a we're now in a position where the Lakers have to spend a lot of money. They've already done so with Danny Green and JaVale McGee, and they bring in DeMarcus Cousins. Um, they gave Contavious Caldwell-Pope some money. I mean, like, what did we think about the Lakers' reaction to all of this? I mean, getting Danny Green was absolutely a must when you looked at the rest of the market and say, we need a quality starter that can actually guard in the playoffs and make shots off LeBron. He, they had to get Danny Green. If they hadn't gotten him, I think they'd be seriously fucked right now. And getting him was huge. I didn't really love the rest of their allocation of resources. I like the, the boogie signing. I think it looks like $3.5 million, a little bit over the minimum. I think that's fine. They need playmaking. This is not LeBron as a 27-year-old or a 28-year-old in this prime. You can't just say, LeBron, play point guard for 42 minutes a game during the regular season and then do it as an initiator in the playoffs too. So that's where I'm a little worried about the Lakers as far as roster construction, not having a ton of secondary ball handling help. But I did like the Danny Green signing. I think they rebounded well getting Cousins. You know, I'm pretty up in arms about the KCP deal. Like he's fine as like a, a throw in. Like I thought maybe for the room exception, but does he really help against these elite teams? He's going to initiate offense. JaVale McGee, like where is the market to pay him two years, you know, $8.2 million? Like where, where's that coming from? With a player option. Yes, where's they that coming from? a player option. Yeah, it's just like, I, I, yeah, he can start for you in the regular season, but he's not going to play against these elite teams. And can you use that money to sign a ball handler? Like maybe offer, you know, Tyce Jones an offer sheet or something. You need some kind of secondary ball handling help. That's what I don't get with this team. Like re-signing Caruso, I thought was big. The Rondo thing is just, it, it, some of the moves are just like, okay, sure. Like it, you can't really play Rondo against these great teams either. So I don't, I don't know. Like they did well with some aspects and I thought they really didn't do well in others. So where I think I'm at is the only thing that I'm like full on questioning is deciding to pay both 
JaVale McGee and DeMarcus Cousins at a level that exceeds the room exception. Uh, I think that that is just redundant and silly. Uh, that doesn't make sense to me. I would just want one of those guys. Um, like it just reduces your cap space so substantially that like it, it doesn't make sense to me to not put like both of those guys or just one of those guys into the room exception and then try and go out and like get floor spacing, get uh, on ball creation, g- go find something else that is more valuable. Yeah, I mean, paying both of them with cap space, both less than the room amount, but with cap space and keeping that room open. I just thought, like, again, these to me, JaVale's like a minimum player. Like, where is the contract coming from? Maybe the Spurs offer, like, Cousins their biannual or something like that. But, you know, I, I think, again, it's L.A. It's the draw of playing on a competitive team. They couldn't have got him for a cheaper price. It's just not allocating your resources great because, like, against the best teams, like, against the dynamic pull-up threats, are either one of those two going to be able to play in the playoffs? I, I just, I'm viewing this through the prism of you're trying to win a title. That's obviously why Anthony Davis went there, you know, with LeBron, with Danny Green. That's a solid infrastructure. But they, do they have the supporting cast that can actually exist in the playoffs? Like, how does Kyle Kuzma fit into all this? They have their roster is very heavily skewed towards their front court. You know, LeBron is probably a four at the stage of his career. Anthony Davis is best at the five. So you have JaVale and Cousins there, too. It, it just doesn't really add up from a playoff perspective to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else that you want to <laughs> discuss in regard to the Kawhi deal? I think that's basically it, honestly. It was just, again, it's just a microcosm of this free agency being absolutely insane. It's got to be the most ridiculous free agency of any sport in my lifetime. Just how many things changed, how the landscape of the league changed. And I really do feel like we have maybe five or six teams and teams can still make trades. Again, like the Clippers can still make an additional move with their first round pick this year and with, you know, Mo Harkless' expiring contract. We probably haven't seen the end to this kind of arms race. It's just kind of fascinating because even like a week ago or a week and a half ago, people were like, oh, Utah, a great team. And I know you're very high on Utah, but like you yeah. look at it now and it's like some of the teams that have been formed ahead of them. And you see like Zach Lowe tweet that they have a bunch of A minus guys. And like you can make an argument they have some like B plus guys in there. And that might not be enough to get it done because of how much these teams have loaded up. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think the one thing that's worth bringing up is like just the player empowerment of it all. Like we had Kawhi Leonard literally just like pluck Paul George off of the Oklahoma City Thunder. <laughs> like it's kind Wild of impressive, stuff. right? It really is. Like the fact that it was so silent and the fact that Kawhi was able to really dictate exactly what he wanted. Like, I want Paul George. I want the Clippers. Make this happen. And then the Clippers being able to do that as well. It's just the whole thing was was great. Like Kawhi got the best of both worlds. I'm happy for him. Yeah. And I think that the thing that's worth remembering here as well is, like I said earlier, I don't really see this as like I am always a fan if I'm an organization and I have a player under contract for multiple years, like calling the bluff and saying, hey, let's uh you know, let, let's see if we can ride this out. But I do think that the biggest part of this is simply that they paid so much more money and so much more in terms of asset allocation than what anyone else has and anyone else had the ability to pay for Paul George. So it's, I, I just wonder if we're, we might be like overreacting to it a little bit, but it's certainly ushering in a slightly different era of the NBA, regardless of even overreacting. Yeah, and for me, like, we're obviously very much in the draft element of all of this and, like, projecting players. And it's just kind of interesting to me that the team is finally like, okay, you know, we're going to take all of these picks and turn it into something that we're trying to get with these picks individually. Like, there's a lot of talk to the Clippers overpay or whatnot. And I see, I, think, I see that so much with teams and fans not wanting to part with younger players. And, you know, stars are stars. Well, younger and players are hope. They're, yes. Their hope is what they represent. And I think that it's something that, as a fan, you can just latch on to, right? You can say, 
I, these are my guys. I've watched them since they were young, and I, I still have hope for them to become what they are. Whereas with older players, that hope is gone. They are what they are at this stage. Now, in Paul George's case, that guy is like the eighth best player in the league, which is fucking unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. But I think also the realistic stance is like Kyle Kuzma is never going to be as good as Anthony Davis or like Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball. You know what I mean? Like those, like I get that you get attached to your young players, but when you turn those players into premier talent, that's where it is. That's what the NBA is now. You have to get those guys to win. So it was just kind of interesting. The Clippers realized that they're not a team that just sat on their assets and said, we're not going to pay this much to get these two guys. It was like, we have a chance to get them, you know, Steve Ballmer on board, all the front office on board. We're going to fucking get them. Yeah. I mean, do you have anything else you want to chat about at some point after summer league, we'll do like a big, like draft roundup summer league podcast. I mean, is there anything else that like sticks out to you uh, right now about summer league about anything else you've seen? Yeah, I mean, just general thoughts on Summer League. Obviously, the talent is, you know, not as much as it was last year. It's not to the same extent because of twofold. One, a lot of the rookies are injured. The premier rookies like Darius Garland, for example, a lot of guys haven't gotten their trades finalized, so they can't play. And that is in conjunction with most of the best players of last year's draft are too good for Summer League, right? So those two things overlap, and we get a product that isn't nearly at the level of last year. So Utah Summer League, I watched all of that. It was pretty brutal. Uh, Vegas has picked up a little bit. But honestly, you just don't have a lot of these premier talents in the game right now. Yeah, it's a huge, huge bummer. Um, Like, I was at the Zion debut, right? Uh, Zion. (laughs) Oh, man. My guy. He's going to be fine. Like, I'm, I'm not concerned at all. He's still going to be absolutely elite. But it's pretty clear that he uh, he was not quite in the shape that some of the other guys that actually had to go through pre-draft processes uh, yeah. were. Yeah, I'm not, I'm like, not worried. <laughs> but I'm not worried, but my, my guy was, like, spare rib away from three bills, it looked like. And it showed. If anything, like, I feel like a dunce at one point for thinking there was, like, a 1% chance that an NBA team was would be like, okay, he can't shoot. I might favor John Morant, but just looking at the reception that 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 Zion received walking on the floor in just the fanfare, like this guy is just he's going to just put guys in, in seats. And we knew that. But like, it's, it's weird to see that manifest. And I, of course, wasn't there. So I didn't get to see the energy in the building. But I heard it was, oh, just it was ridiculous. It was wild. Like the entire arena was standing throughout all <laughs> of like the warm ups. Uh, it was like this crazy energy that was just so weird and so uh so different than anything that i've experienced at summer league um and i've been to what like six or seven summer leagues something like that um this was different this was very different and when he like just totally treated kevin knox like he was a child and ripped the ball out of his hands and dunked uh that ovation was special it was different like the zion experience is very very different than anything else it's just wild to have that big of a fanfare entering the league. And just, it's just crazy. Like, I'm happy for him. He's a great kid. Like, I think he's going to be at one point, he could be the face of the league. And he has the personality and the approach, the competitive fire, but also like the charisma to handle that. But good God, dude, the kids, you know, such a young kid for this eight, for this class too, for, for freshmen and coming in and being able to handle that. It's just going to be kind of interesting to watch. They're going to, I mean, the Pelicans, the, their fans, I think they're kind of underrated, frankly. Um, they're going to have like a, a definite draw to go see games. I mean, the Pelicans are going to be good as is, but just the amount of like reputability and the amount of buzz that Zion creates, it's something that we haven't seen, I don't think, in a long time. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I, 
yeah, I, I guess that's it. I was in a Raising Cane's for the hurricane, or not for the hurricane, the earthquake. Uh, definitely not a definitely not a hurricane. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was in Raising Cane's for the earthquake because I had left the Zion game early just because it seemed like uh, wasn't wasn't a great outing to be at, uh, and I assumed that I wanted to leave early to like try and beat the traffic to go and watch the Australian football game I wanted to watch. So like. It was it was a it was an interesting experience. the The whole game all around was very was very wild. There were some RJ takes after that game. I will say that it was kind of interesting. Uh, they showed David Griffin his reaction to the earthquake probably like a hundred times on ESPN, like NBA TV. It was, definitely seemed like a weird environment. I mean, when speakers are you know drifting back and forth above your head, like I'm getting the fuck out of there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think that's all we got. Uh, Cole, what do you want to what do you want to plug before we get out of here? I might end up writing reactions to summer league and just kind of general notes on players. Like again, thought Bruce Brown was absolutely incredible yesterday against the Blazers, the best game I've seen in summer league thus far. So I might have something like that up for the stepping at some point. Um, otherwise, might write a little bit about U nineteen as well. That's been a really fun team to watch. The American team, like Cade Cunningham, uh, Halliburton, those guys really share the ball. So might have something on that as well. I haven't watched any of those games yet. I've heard that like they are just awesome, awesome passers who play yes. together and like all of that stuff. Um, I heard Joel Ayayi, like got the better of AJ Lawson in a game uh, between Canada and France, which was interesting. Um, for those of us that have been on the AJ Lawson hide for a couple of years now, that was concerning. Um, but yeah, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to go back and watch those after summer league. Yeah, I haven't watched the last couple. I watched up to the semifinal, I think, with the U.S., and I got to watch the other teams as well. So uh, def- definitely worthwhile. Again, the U.S. team is, for their age group, I think that this is one of the best passing and kind of feel teams that I've seen in a while. Like Literally everybody on the team can pass. All right, go to The Athletic. Keep me employed over there. Uh, go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Android, whatever podcasting app you use, we're up there now. Uh, we'll be back later next week. We'll do a big summer league kind of overview. We'll do some, just all of those thoughts in general. So until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. All right, I have some small... 